So I need you today to be ready to fly with me. We're going to cover a lot of ground. It's Thanksgiving, which the Bible commands us to live. Now, we're going to start in Colossians 2, 6, 6 and 7. I want you to listen, and we're going to just fly today. But I want us to address that issue this morning. Despite the fact that there are two football teams that struggled yesterday. <laughs> Let me just say this. The second coming is near when Baylor is rated above Alabama. We don't all go to heaven, brother. And you're not making it. And I am not grateful for yesterday at all. Now, I do want you to listen to what he says. He says, therefore, as, and in other words, in the same way you receive Christ Jesus, Lord, walk in him. Rooted, built up in him, confirmed your faith just as you were taught. And then listen to this, abounding in thanksgiving. It doesn't just say, be a little thankful. He says, I want you to abound in it. I want you to absolutely just be loud in your gratitude. Which is an easy thing to say if everything's good. You had a good Thanksgiving, you and the family get along, there's money in the bank, everybody's healthy, everybody enjoys each other. It's easy to come home and say, man, God, thank you so much. It's easy to express that to other people, but when, when you've had a year where maybe this is the first Thanksgiving without your spouse or without one of your children, or you discovered something that you had no idea you were going to face, and all of a sudden now it's a hard year, and it's a difficult year. And for whatever reason, the rug's been pulled out from under you and you're trying to figure your life out and how in the world can I give thanks in the middle of the mess that I find myself in. But the problem is, he says, I want you to abound in thanksgiving and he doesn't offer an excuse for it. It doesn't say abound now when it's good and when it's not, don't abound. He says, you've got to abound. There are a ton of verses that talk about continually giving thanks in the middle of everything. So how do you do that? You have to focus, and this is the key, because of what he talks about. In the same way you receive Christ as the Lord, I want you to walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and, and confirmed in your faith. Your ability, now listen to me carefully, your ability to abound in thanksgiving is not rooted in what you're thankful for here it is completely rooted in what God's done for you in Christ. Now, it's great to have good things here. That's wonderful. I'm grateful for a camper, sort of. So, but it's what you have in Christ that you're going to fundamentally build your gratitude on. So I want us to travel today, and let's look at that. Go to James, book of James, right after Hebrews. There are certain things you have promised to you if you're in Christ. Now, if you don't know Jesus Christ, nothing that I read today is yours. Nothing. 
If you do know Jesus Christ, then every single thing we look at today is yours. Listen to James chapter 1, verse 2. First thing he says, consider it all joy, my brothers, whenever you fall into different kinds of trials. So the very definition there, here's your definition of trial. If it takes away your joy, it's a trial. If it enhances your joy, it's not. So the real simple thing is anything that comes in your life circumstantially that removes your happiness, not your joy, but your happiness, that makes it difficult, you've got to look at it a different perspective. Here's what he says. Consider it all joy when you fall into different kinds of trials. Why? Because you know that the trying of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect work that you might be complete and whole, lacking in nothing. Here's the first thing you have. You have a faith that when it's tried, produces endurance. Great Greek word. Comes from two Greek words to stay under. It was used for a woman who would put a water pot on her head and carry that. So the idea was she had this pressure, but it didn't stop her from doing what she was supposed to do. He says that one of the great benefits of knowing Jesus Christ is that trials, even if they just knock you out, they do not ever end for you because they actually give you the ability to stand with Jesus, do what he wants you to do, no matter what the pressure is, and ultimately produce a maturity in you. Now, the obvious implication is you never reach maturity without trials. If what the guys tell you on TV is true, you're never going to reach maturity, which could explain them. So number one, there's your first benefit. I want you to go to 2 Corinthians 12. Hang a left. This is when Paul went to the third heaven. He's struggling with the arrogance that's come to him because of that. Now listen to what he says, 2 Corinthians 12, 7. And because of the superabundance of revelations that I might not be puffed up, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, that he might strike me that I might no longer be puffed up. On behalf of this, three times I asked the Lord that he would take it from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. So I'd rather boast in my afflictions that the power of Christ might overshadow me. So here's the second thing. When you go through something and knocks your feet out from under you and you're just struggling and your head swimming and you're trying to figure out what's going on, I want you to understand that is the point at which God's power will be released in your life. We're scared of trials. I, I get it. But we're scared of them because we don't think his power will rest because a lot of times we're not living in his power because everything's good for us. When we hit the struggle is when his power is released in us. And that's why Paul says, look, I don't like what I've got. We don't know if he had eyesight issues, arthritic issues, epilepsy seems to be the issue from the book of Galatians. That he had epileptic seizures, whatever it was. He begged God to take it away. And then at the end he says, you know what, God? If this will release your power in my life, I am good. So number one, you become mature. Number two, his power is released in your life. Why? Go back to Hebrews 
chapter 7. I want you to listen to verse 25. Hebrews 7.25. The more of the phone apps, the less pages I hear turning. And Margaret Young's back there, and she actually has a phone with a Bible on it. I am stunned. If you don't know Margaret Young, she was secretary when I came. She's the only person in the church older than I am, so it's <laughs> grateful you're here. Listen carefully. And whence he's able to save to the absolute end, those who come through him to God, always living to make intercession for them. You know why your faith works? And why it really will never quit? Because you have Jesus interceding for you every single day. Now that's the beauty. We have a Savior that needs to go home and sit. He's actually interceding for us. Does it work? It worked with Simon Peter. He told Peter at the end, he said, look, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. And I'm letting him do that, but I have prayed for you that your faith won't fail. Now, he didn't pray that Peter wouldn't deny him. What he prayed was that after Peter's failure, that his failure would not offset his faith and that he would stay with Jesus. And when Jesus caught him in John 21 and confronted him in Galilee after the resurrection, Peter said, I'll do anything you want me to do. His faith did not fail. Why? Because Jesus' prayer worked. There is no prayer he utters on your behalf that does not work. If you want to ask me why I believe that we can't lose our salvation, it's not because I'm Southern Baptist. It's because of that verse right there. I can't lose it because there's not a day he isn't praying for me. You go to Romans 8, which we won't have time to go to today, Romans 8, 26, 28. It says the Holy Spirit prays for us. When we don't know how to pray. So here's the deal for you. Okay? No matter how bad things get, all they will do is deepen your faith, release His power, provide for the intercession of the Holy Spirit and the intercession of Jesus Christ, which is why God the Father holds you all the way until the day you die. You will not fail. That's why the Bible says, if they left us, it's because they're not of us. Let me tell you something. When somebody leaves the faith, it's because they didn't have any faith because the prayer of Jesus never <clears throat> allows anyone to fail. Not that way. Now, next thing. I want you to look at Colossians. Back there, I want you to listen to Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. Here's what it says. Because in him everything was created in the heavenlies and upon the earth, the visible, the invisible, thrones, rulers, authorities, all things through him and for him were created. And he is above all, and all things consist in him. Here's the next thing you have that cannot be changed. Your Jesus is the creator of the universe. Everything was made by him. Everything was made for him. Everything was made through him. So that when you understand who Jesus is in your life, that doesn't change. I don't care how bad things get in your life. I don't care how much the rug's been pulled out. I don't care how hard it's been. You have a sovereign God that remains sovereign for eternity, which is nice to know. I still go back to the thing, we don't have a Supreme Court in this country. We have a court that thinks they're supreme, 
But they're going to discover that a lot of their decisions have violated the real sovereign king. He's sovereign. Number two, I want you to go over 2 Peter chapter 1, 20 to 21. I want you to listen to what the scripture says. He says, knowing this first, no prophecy came by any prophet's private authority, for no prophecy was, was or originated in the will of men, but men were born about by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God as a result of that. You see this? You have the only book that's absolutely true in the entire universe. Now, this tells me two things in my life. It tells me what's true and false, and it tells me what's right and wrong. And nothing will ever change that. It took God 1,500 years, 40 different authors, 66 books, to produce a book that's absolutely the same, Genesis to Revelation. One message that there's a creator that's in love with this planet. Jesus Christ brought us back to him through his blood, which is the third thing. Ephesians 1, 7 says, we have forgiveness in his blood. You are never going to lose that. I have a sovereign God that this Bible that is true tells me that that God loves me enough that he gave me his grace and his blood has allowed my sins to be absolutely removed. They're gone. I love the Greek word for forgiveness. It's the same word in John 4 where the Bible says the woman was at the well. The Bible actually says she forgot her water pot and went back into the village she was from. She left it there. She forgot it. That is the Greek word for forgiveness. God has forgotten your sin. And he's forgotten what's coming, not just what you used to do. We had a guy in Midland one time. I had, he'd come to Christ, West Noe. I gave him to a, one of my deacons, Bob Walker, to a disciple. So Bob met him about two weeks after he came forward, accepted Christ. They were sitting first meeting, and Wes looked at Bob and said, listen, I, I thought I was a Christian, but I'm not. Bob said, what are you talking about? I was there when you accepted Christ. He said, well, yeah, but, but I've sinned since then. Bob said, we all sin after we meet Christ. And he said, his eyes got really big and said, are you serious? And Bob said, I'm gifted at it. Salvation doesn't mean you stop sinning. What it does mean is there is no sin that is ever bigger than the blood of Jesus Christ. And he gives that to us because he loves us. Then, I have Matthew 16. I want you to listen to this carefully. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I... I've shared a little bit, but I'm going to go ahead and put this on the table today because I'm leaving. It doesn't, doesn't matter. <laughs> There's a deal coming next day for supposedly at Kyle Field. We're trying to fill Kyle Field up with Christians. Now, if they had said it's just an event, I'd be okay with it. But they've been very clear that it's not an event, it's a movement. This movement that's going to occur in Kyle Field in April is going to be a movement that sweeps Bryan, sweeps College Station, sweeps the Brazos Valley, sweeps Texas, sweeps America, and sweeps the world. Now, let me be clear. If it were an event, 
I'm in. God has already started a movement in his son. Here it is. Simon Peter answered and said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, you are blessed, Simon Barjona, verse 17 of Matthew 16, because flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father in heaven. And I'm telling you that you're Peter, now listen to this, and upon this rock, not upon you, but upon your faith, I shall build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against her. God has already started a movement. It's you. Anybody that possesses the Holy Spirit of God because of the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ, based on the call of the Creator, understanding the Word, has and is part of the church and is the essence of the movement of God. He's not starting any movements outside of what he's already started. So when somebody looks at you and says, we've got a movement coming, you stay away from that because he started the movement in his church and that's what he's done everywhere in the world. I love what he said. The gates of hell would not prevail against it. When you go to Israel, and he said upon this rock, when you go to Israel and you go to Caesarea Philippi, the mouthwaters of the Jordan, there's this massive rock. I mean, it's bigger than all the way across here. It's just a massive rock. But inside this cave are all these, and, and outside are all these idolatrous pictures, but inside the cave, they would take people and throw them in as a sacrifice. They would be swept down if, now listen, and it was called the gates of hell. If, as they were sacrificed, their blood came up, and then it was considered a failed sacrifice. If they were thrown in, <clears throat> no blood, then it was a good sacrifice. Now, the gates of hell, then, hate the shedding of blood. And that's why Jesus said, the church I build on my blood the gates of hell will never, ever conquer. We are the only thing in the universe that Satan can't win over. Now, folks, I've said this before. I want you to hear that. We're it. Little league can be conquered. Junior league can be conquered. Kiwanis Club, Rotary Club. I'm fine if you do all those things, but I think you need to understand none of them are ordained by the hand of God. The church is. And when you put more time in something that isn't ordained by God, you've missed completely what Christianity is about. See, that gets quiet. Because we are so caught up in the world, and I think that's why guys are coming into this town trying to say they're starting a movement when in fact they're not starting a movement but the movement that God has started sometimes we devalue because we've forgotten how great our Savior is last thing Revelation 22 I love 20 and 21 the last two verses of the Bible one bearing witness to these things says, Yes, 
I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with all. He's coming back. So understand a very clear distinctive. If you do not know Jesus Christ, what you have in this world is the only heaven you will ever know. I know Jesus Christ. This is the only hell I will ever know. Because he's coming back and he's going to fix what we have broken and butchered. And he's going to take those of us in his sovereignty, that have believed his word, that are forgiven by the blood of Jesus, that are part of his movement, and he's going to pull us home, and he's going to use us to establish and rebuild the entire universe. And he's on the way back. You say, well, that could be forever. could be a long time, except for one absolutely powerful statement that he made. He said, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars before I come back. He said, well, we've heard about those for 2,000 years. Except for one distinction. My wife and I went and saw the movie Midway the other night. It was the last war that isn't centered in the Middle East. Every war until recent days ignored the Middle East. It was always centered in Europe. Not now. Every bit of war we face today is centered in the land that Jesus Christ made that statement about. I know we can have some rough times, and I've walked with some of you even this year through some rough times. But because of who you are in Jesus Christ, you can abound in thanksgiving. Because your trials are going to deepen you. They're going to release his power. He's going to intercede for you. The Holy Spirit's going to intercede for you. He's sovereign. His word is true. The blood works. The church is his movement. And he's coming back. And nothing can change even one of those Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you've given us to stand on. Father, there are people in this room, it's been a great year. Gotten a promotion. Money's the best it's ever been. Family's healthy. Everybody enjoys each other. This weekend was great. Father, there are those in this room that the opposite is true. I just thank you that we can thank you every day, no matter what we face, literally because of what we have in your son. Thank you for that truth and that reality. So I ask you today, anybody here that does not know your son I ask for your Holy Spirit to speak to them and let them see what they're missing and find him today in that moment
in the name of your son who made all this possible. I ask that. Your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If you never have met Jesus, staff and I are here. You don't have to join this church. We don't want your money. We just want you to know what we have. God's calling you to be a part of this fellowship. You just need to come down here and kneel and pray. As he speaks to your heart this morning, you come.